This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Friday, February 23rd. I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Med Center faces tough questions from area governments. Listening Club holds a repeater performance. Eyes to ears with Kayla Beatman and a mountain weather forecast. But first, litigation involving the town of Telluride in San Miguel County surrounding their proposed development at their land on Diamond Ridge has, at least for now, been resolved. The Colorado Court of Appeals dismissed the case, preserving a lower court decision which blocked the rezoning of Diamond Ridge, effectively barring its development. The town and county purchased the three Diamond Ridge parcels on Deep Creek Mesa in 2022 with the intention of building affordable housing. Neighbors of that land joined together in a powerful coalition to oppose the project and brought the governments to court over their rezoning. A December 2022 decision ruled in favor of those opposing the development. This latest ruling simply upholds that prior decision. In a request for comment, both the county and the plaintiffs said no elaboration was needed. The land will remain zoned as forestry, agriculture, and open space. The town and county report they will discuss next steps at a joint meeting on March 1st. If you're a struggling rural healthcare facility operating with million-dollar annual deficits, struggling just to stay open, how do you boost revenues and create stability? This is the question facing Jeff Roberts, newly appointed director of the Telluride Medical Center. He comes on board after the Med Center requested a cash bailout to the tune of $1.5 million from area governments last fall and then had to ask voters for a roughly $4 million mill levy increase. Considering the context, Roberts paints a pretty rosy picture. Speaking to Telluride Town Council this week, he says they've got a balanced budget for 2024. So we think we're in a pretty strong financial position. Chair of the Hospital District Board Paul Reich says at the council meeting, the improved outlook is the result of those emergency measures last year. Thanks to the work of the prior council and your willingness to uh, extend funding to us, And then, of course, the voters last fall in November approving it. I mean, it it certainly has allowed us to have a a runway, if you will, to begin to stabilize the finances. Looking at their budget, money from the mill levy increase is primarily going towards supporting med center staff who are currently paid below industry average. And, says Roberts, In a ski town or in a remote location like this, it's really hard to find employees if you're not paying them at least the medium income. Um, and they haven't had raises. They've had two raises in five years. Um, so uh, the mill levy is helping a lot with us being able to afford to, to take care of our employees. In addition to employee raises, the med center is moving to provide a wellness benefit or a ski pass. Then there's housing. When the med center asked area voters to support a tax increase on the November ballot, they listed housing as one of their core initiatives. But the 2024 budget designates only 100000 of the $4 million mill levy towards housing. 
Councilmember Geneva Shawnette is underwhelmed. Yeah, man, I think that a lot of people voted for this thinking that the money was going to housing. Mm-hmm. So the seeing a budget with it going to operations might be shocking and surprising to many people who voted. Continues Telluride Councilmember Mian Fee. We did tie our community's hands by passing that mill levy. And if there was misinformation or misunderstanding on the part of the community when they were voting, that is problematic. Back in November, voters showed robust support for the Med Center, with over 60% of votes cast in favor of their tax increase. But now, many area residents are receiving their tax bills and are shocked at historic increases in what they owe. These spikes are due to a number of factors, but certainly area mill levy increases play a role. Council members say they want the Med Center to stay accountable. Roberts faced similar scrutiny when he came before the San Miguel Board of County Commissioners later in the week. He introduced himself to commissioners, but, says County Commissioner Ann Brown, following their bailout of the Med Center last fall, she'd been hoping for some accountability. It's very nice to meet you in a you know social and a casual way, but um, I think... Personally, I'm looking for some information from the medical center, too, that would follow up because I don't think we've had any kind of a report. And I was just curious about when, if we could get on a schedule, I guess, for those financial updates. Roberts, at both meetings, pledges to work collaboratively and transparently with area partners moving forward. This coming Monday, the Wilkinson Public Library holds its monthly listening club. It's like a book club, but for albums. Sam Burgess will lead the February club with his work of choice, Fugazi's 1990 album, Repeater. KOTO's Julia Caulfield spoke with Burgess about his selection. Fugazi has always held a special place in my heart. It was one of the first albums that I heard that was sort of more of the punk rock of the punk rock ilk. Before then, I was listening to a lot of uh, heavy metal, thrash metal, that kind of stuff. Um, and then someone played me Fugazi, and it kind of changed the my th- the direction of uh, what music I was listening to. I started listening to a lot more punk rock and hardcore, uh, DC hardcore specifically. DC hardcore scene, they definitely put a focus on musicianship um, and also politically minded songs, which makes sense. They're living in the, you know, the heart, the heart of American democracy. So, of course, there's going to be a lot of political stuff that comes out of that music. Um, So I, I think more so than knowing about Fugazi, I'd like people to know about the DC hardcore scene. I think I chose this one because it's a little bit more accessible. Um, the production is really good. Um, there are a couple of songs that, you know, if they were radio friendly, they could be considered such, um, even with sort of a pop aspect to it. Um, so I think it's their most diverse album. But we don't have to try it. 
I think it's a seminal album of theirs. Um, it, one thing I can say about Fugazi is that they were more of a progressive punk band. So people think of punk and they think, you know, the Sex Pistols, where there's maybe, you know, only need three chords, you don't need to play your instruments. Um, Fugazi, they were definitely maestros. Um, they, they knew how to play their instruments. They knew how to arrange songs in different ways. Um, so it was the first real punk music that I'd heard that was uh, the songwriting was a little more challenging, um, especially the, the lyricism. The one thing I loved about Fugazi is that every concert they ever put on, they never charged more than $5. And this was from start to finish, from when they, I guess they broke up sometime around 2007, maybe 2008. They were still playing $5 shows. It's aggressive. Sometimes fast, but it can also be sometimes soft. Like I say, it's a, it's a progressive style of punk rock, so the songwriting is all over the place in that it's not just a you know a typical A, B, C sort of song format with a, a verse and a chorus. They do a lot of bridges, key changes, a lot of tempo changes. So I guess I would describe it as progressive hard rock would be the closest I can think of. So think of Rush, but maybe with a little bit more of a, an aggressive tendency, um, you know, faster BPMs, that kind of stuff. One thing about Fugazi is they were never really popular. You know, they never had radio-friendly music. They were definitely very bent on doing things themselves. So they never signed to a major label. They did their own marketing. They did their own managing. Like I said, they were charging $5 for, you know, tour. But even to this day, I talk to people that don't really, have never really heard of Fugazi, um, don't know where they came from, don't know any of their music. So that's kind of why I chose this band. Um, specifically for the listening club because the one thing i like to do for listening club is maybe introduce something that someone's never heard of before sam burgess will lead the february listening club on repeater on Monday, February 26, from 6 to 7 p.m. at the Telluride Music Company. More information is available at telluridelibrary.org. Usually on Eyes to Ears, Telluride High School's Caleb Eatman shares a piece of art from a local art gallery. But this week, they're sticking closer to home with a piece of their own. Have a listen. Good evening, and welcome to an installment within the Eyes to Ears series, wherein our host, Caleb Eatman, will describe a piece of their artwork for this episode. This is a piece I sketched up one Sunday morning, and I felt it like it would, despite it not being fine art, be a good piece to describe. Please welcome The Bewilderment of a Deified Martyr by Caleb Eatman. Among a simplified background, white parchment stained by simple light blue and green ink outlines the landscape our subject stands in. 
a minimalist cloudy sky and a thin brassy field. A man with one hand held to his chest and the other held out in a contorted pose for the human to observe. Among his long wavy hair rests the soft yellow flower crown of dandelions. His lips part within the confusion just enough for you to see it from beyond his beard. The perplexity of his situation is found in the outfit he wears. A long dress of sky blue silk is draped over his body. Ribbons of fuchsia are draped over his shoulders and around his waist. Popped through the blue is the embroidered design of a multitude of sunflowers, which spark a warm feeling from the otherwise desolate atmosphere. This was a somewhat minimalist script written up for the description of this drawing, though there was not much to it anyway. But still, I cannot contain my pride enough, for this is what I like to draw most of the time. Perhaps it's a sort of way of interacting with the characters that I love to draw, to watch them be confused at the situations that I put them through, almost like how you would see it if you were a god yourself. That's uh, that sort of place where you can make all your what-ifs become a reality. And that's the fun of creation, in my way of seeing it. But this has been Eyes to Ears on Kodo. My name is Kayla Beatman, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Feeling summery and entrepreneurial? Applications for vendors this summer season are open with the town of Telluride and due by 5 p.m. on March 15th. You could cook up a scheme to sell some cooking, or another good, anywhere from Elks Park to the Gondola Plaza to a number of locations on Spruce Street. Cart size is limited by the town of Telluride to 3 feet by 5 feet, but from there, your options abound. Find the application and share your vision at bit.ly slash tot vending. It appears some pharmacies aren't honoring the state's new price cap on EpiPens almost two months after new rules took effect. Under the law, any Colorado resident can qualify for the $60 limit for a two-pack of the life-saving medication. But the Denver Post reports some pharmacies are still charging patients significantly more. Pharmacy retail groups and lawmakers say the medication's manufacturer isn't following the law and reimbursing pharmacies for the remaining cost. One of the law's sponsors, Senator Dylan Roberts, said the legislature may need to increase penalties. The drug's manufacturer claims it has fully complied. State lawmakers are considering a bill that would allow for more drug overdose reversal medications in schools. 
KOTL's Lucas Brady-Woods reports it would also add protections for those who administer them. Schools can already stock and distribute overdose reversal medications like naloxone, commonly known as Narcan. The new bill would allow students to carry them on campus, on school buses, and at school events. Lawmakers wrote the bill with high school students from Durango, who successfully pushed for a similar policy change in their district in 2023. Durango student Andre Craig testified in support of the bill. Craig lost his cousin to an accidental opioid overdose. I beg that you pass this bill so that we can prevent tragedies like this in the future. We must learn from these tragedies and move forward. The bill would also provide immunity from civil or criminal charges for staff members who administer the medication, including bus drivers. I'm Lucas Brady-Woods at the state capitol. The embattled Uinta Basin Railway, a proposed short line that would connect Utah's oil fields to the national rail system, has lost key federal permits over the past seven months. But proponents are not giving up. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KDNK's Amy Haddon Marsh has more. Our request before you today is $750,000 one-time funding to bridge the gap between the conclusion of our Community Impact Board funding and the sale of our intellectual rights to the railroad to our private partner. That's Keith Heaton, Executive Director of the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition, or SCIC the public entity behind the proposed Uinta Basin Railway. As its name implies, the SCIC comprises seven eastern Utah counties. Heaton spoke to the Utah State Legislature's Infrastructure and General Government Appropriations Subcommittee on January 31st, requesting taxpayer money from the state's general fund to keep the railroad project rolling. To get this project built, Uh, It's been funded by the Community Impact Board, or CIB, and it's also a public-private partnership with seven counties serving as the public side of the equation. Our role as the public side has been to obtain permits and do the planning for the project, which we successfully accomplished. Well, almost. The railway lost its federal permit in August through a lawsuit, which was filed by Eagle County, Colorado, and the Center for Biological Diversity last year to appeal the Federal Surface Transportation Board's 2021 approval of the project. They prevailed in what I would call a liberal Washington court, which has created obviously problems for the project, as well as problems for our country, in that they uh, ruled that we would need to look at undetermined downstream and upstream impacts to the environment. So we would have to do environmental assessments in Louisiana, Texas, pretty much anywhere there's a refinery that could take products that might be shipped out of the Uinta Basin. The same court in December rejected the SCIC's request to rehear the August decision. Then, in January of this year, the U.S. Forest Service dealt another blow to the UBR by withdrawing its permit for the construction of the railroad through a roadless area in Utah's Ashley National Forest. So, the railway is stalled, but Heaton said the SCIC has more options. We're seeking congressional solution through our national delegation, uh, which we feel very strongly about. We're also soliciting Supreme Court certiari. Uh, because this treads all over the state's rights, interstate commerce. 
In a January interview, Ted Zukoski, attorney with the Center for Biological Diversity, told KDNK that it would be a long shot if the SCIC took the case to the U.S. Supreme Court. The issues in this case are pretty much garden variety. You know, you need to take a hard look at the impacts. Uh And they didn't do that. These are not the kinds of juicy uh, issues where you have a split in the circuit courts of appeal or, you know, some huge political issue. It seems very unlikely to me that the Supreme Court would take this case. Regardless of which direction it chooses, the SCIC still needs the $750,000 to proceed. The Utah Infrastructure and General Government Appropriations Subcommittee should have a decision on the SCIC's request by early March. For KDNK News, I'm Amy Haddon-Marsh. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for a cloudy night tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Saturday, expect mostly sunny skies with a high near 40, followed by a partly cloudy night with a low in the mid-20s. Sunday brings mostly sunny skies with a high in the mid-40s. There's a slight chance of snow showers on Sunday night with otherwise cloudy skies and a low around freezing. This has been the news for Friday, February 23rd. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, personal commentaries. Have you ever wished our community had more access to mental health resources like substance abuse counseling? Or maybe therapists trained in helping people with eating disorders? Maybe you or someone you know hasn't accessed counseling because it is not available in the language you speak. Although living in our remote corner of the world is amazing, there are people with needs that fall through the cracks. Residents in San Miguel County and West End of Montrose County have the opportunity to provide valuable input regarding community mental health and behavioral health needs. Tri-County Health Network is conducting a community survey to study ways of improving the quality of life in San Miguel and the West End of Montrose County with a big focus on mental health. The survey will be conducted in two ways, by phone and online. You may be randomly selected for a phone interview. You can also go to Tri-County Health Network's website to complete the online survey. Visit tchnetwork.org and look under Data for the Quality of Life Survey. It can be taken in both English and Spanish. Let's help improve the quality of life in our community by taking the survey and voicing our input on what our community needs to achieve health and well-being. We are all in this together and every voice matters. Again, please visit tchnetwork.org and look under data for the quality of life survey. Thanks, Kodo. Hey there, this is Mary from the Telluride Historical Museum with your Miners Minutes. The Telluride Historical Museum is seeking a friendly, outgoing, and engaging individual to serve as a visitor services coordinator. The visitor services coordinator works at the museum's front desk and provides all services associated with front desk responsibilities, including greeting and orienting guests upon arrival, taking payment for admission, gift shop sales, answering questions during guest visits, and restocking gift shop inventory. This is a part-time role starting immediately, specifically scheduled for Saturdays during the winter season, with opportunities to work more during the summer season. Our 2024 daffodil days are almost here again. Pre-sales begin online February 19th. 
Place your orders early and get a discounted price of $12 a bundle or purchase them on Main Street at the community table from our regular dates of March 11th to 15th and up at the museum for bundles in person at the regular price at $15 a bundle. All proceeds benefit the Telluride Historical Museum and the American Cancer Society. A reminder of our hours. We are open for the winter season Tuesday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. with last entries at 4.30 p.m. And remember, Saturdays are always free for locals. Kids scavenger hunts are also available, so be sure to bring your littles. And we hope to see you up the hill on First Street soon or follow us on social media to keep in touch with what's up up at the museum. Thanks, Goto. You're a medium rare. Well done. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at KOTO. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.